The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So continuing the, um, the teachings on Satipatthana that we've been exploring, been in the, the fourth foundation for a while, exploring the various, some of the various teachings in the fourth foundation. And before shifting to the next teaching in the fourth foundation, which I'll introduce a little bit today, I want to kind of back up and give a, a, a bigger perspective again uh, of Satipatthana and um, kind of the direction that Satipatthana heads because the, the next teaching that we're talking about, um, the next list, the next um, instructions or encouragements in the Satipatthana are um, to explore or be curious about, to be aware of the seven factors of awakening. And these are factors that are cultivated as we practice. And in a way, they, they are some of the aim of the whole practice of wise mindfulness. So um, the, the first of the seven factors is mindfulness. And that factor is said to kind of condition or support the cultivation of the other factors, the factors of investigation, of energy, of delight, joy, uh, rapture, of um, tranquility, of um, concentration and of equanimity. So that's kind of the direction the practice heads through the cultivation of mindfulness. But, you know, to think about the the Satipatthana as a whole, a a couple of pieces to just reflect on. In the guided meditation, I really emphasize receiving as a form of mindfulness practice. And, um, just to speak to that and how that kind of integrates or is supported by the Satipatthana Sutta. Often in reading the Satipatthana Sutta, it's described as a whole bunch of different mindfulness exercises, mindfulness of the body, Mindfulness of breathing in mindfulness of the body. We direct the attention to the breathing or mindfulness of body postures. We direct the attention to body postures or mindfulness of feeling tone. We, we direct the attention to noticing pleasant, unpleasant or neutral aspects of experience. That's one way the Satipatthana Sutta can be understood to choose various aspects of experience and kind of focus on them. And there's value to that. There is value to that, to to kind of learn about various aspects of experience. But the wording of the Satipatthana Sutta actually does support um, kind of the receptive um, aspect. With receptive mindfulness, we aren't choosing something to pay attention to. It's more, okay, let's see what awareness is already here. What is is awareness already knowing here? So the... um, the um, awareness is just kind of open receiving, and it may be body that's being received. It may be breath that's being received. It may be feeling tone. It may be mind states that are being received. And whatever's obvious, 
the there's something in the Satipatthana Sutta that can point to what's what's a skillful way to be with that what is already arising and so for instance in the feeling tone it um it describes it the, i think the language says when feeling a pleasant feeling one understands i feel a pleasant feeling so it doesn't actually say in in this in the foundation around um the uh, feeling tone direct the attention to feeling tone it says when feeling a pleasant feeling one understands i feel a pleasant feeling so that's a much more receptive it's it's receptive language actually in several of the um the uh satipatthana um exercises and several of the the things that are mentioned in the satipatthana sutta it has very re- it uses very receptive language um the the um description of um mind states for example um i'm going to actually pull my book down and read this section to you So this is the in the contemplation of of mindfulness of mind one understands a mind affected by greed as a mind affected by greed one understands a mind affected by aversion as a mind affected by aversion again it's not it's not saying necessarily to that we have to direct the attention to to the uh, to that aspect of experience it says it says how does a how does one abide contemplating mind as mind that might be thought of as you should contemplate mind as mind but it might be also understood as when there is the when what is obvious that's arising is something in the mind this is how to be with it this is how to contemplate it so the i think the satipatthana sutta supports both perspectives on mindfulness and we if we think about the the um the 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 satipatthana sutta as a whole we could say that the first three foundations mindfulness of body mindfulness of feeling tone whether experience is pleasant unpleasant or neutral mindfulness of mind um which includes noticing presence or absence of greed aversion or delusion presence or absence of contraction and distraction and presence or absence of absence of some states of concentration so those three are are kind of more general ways of familiarizing ourselves with the experiences of body and mind we're encouraged to get in touch with a familiar with body and again it, it it might be noticing it through receptive awareness or directed awareness we're encouraged to get familiar with with body body the breath the breath in the body body um body postures the sensations in the body the um um 
the elemental nature of our experience, hardness, pressure, softness, it, that's framed in terms of um, earth, air, fire, and water element. So we're encouraged to get familiar with body. And then in the feeling tone, we're encouraged to get familiar with that, just very simply. The feeling tone, again, feeling tone is a very simple instruction. When there's pleasant feeling arising, one knows that. Unpleasant feeling, one knows that. Mindfulness of mind, just the simplicity of recognizing when the mind is affected by greed or not, when it's affected by aversion or not. So the first three foundations we can think of as kind of familiarizing ourselves with what our experience is in the present moment. So encouraging that interest. I think of the uh, mindfulness. Um, mindfulness itself is a, is a kind of a neutral quality. It's a capacity we have as human beings to be aware of what's happening in the present moment. But that capacity to be aware of what's happening in the present moment is not inherently either wholesome or unwholesome. It's a capacity that we have, and it can be joined with various intentions. So the reason why we are present, what, what we are exploring with being aware in the present moment, what's the purpose of our being aware in the present moment? One might be aware in the present moment in, in um, a wholesome way, but not necessarily directed towards um, um, full freedom and awakening through being very mindful while doing a particular um, job, like being a surgeon. You know, a surgeon probably has to be really present with what they're doing. They are doing it for the purpose of helping someone. So that's wholesome. But it is, it is not necessarily the kind of mindfulness that is just simply curious about, well, what's it like to be a surgeon in the present moment? There's, there's, more, there's more aim and direction to the purpose of what they're doing. Then there's um, a thief who might be very present and aware when they are going through a house to steal something. And again, you know, very kind of aware of all of their movements to, to be very quiet, to not draw attention to themselves. But the purpose for which they're doing that is not to be curious about what is it like to take this step? It is in order to steal. So it, the purpose for that is, is greed or potentially aversion, depending on the motivation behind the, the robbery. So the motivation or intention that turns that capacity we have to be present in the present moment into wise mindfulness is a curiosity about this present moment experience as present moment experience. That maybe is the simplest way to describe that perspective. It includes a curiosity about what the, the formal way that this intention or wise intention is described is that it includes a curiosity about what suffering is, what stress is, and what freedom from stress is. And that suffering or stress um, 
um, is kind of revealed and, and the, the perspective of simply being curious about what's happening in the present moment as a human being begins to point out to us that there are things happening in the present moment, in particular things in our own mind that are contributing to the stress that we feel, the suffering that we feel. And so the, the, this kind of what we might call bare attention or receptive attention, receptive awareness begins to point out what kinds of things are happening that lead us towards stress and suffering, all of those difficult states of mind, the hindrances, and what leads us towards more ease and peace, towards the cultivation of those seven factors of awakening. And so these first three foundations are cultivating this kind of mindfulness. We're learning what it means to... uh, when feeling a pleasant feeling, one feels a pleasant feeling. We're learning what it means to breathing in, one understands. I'm breathing in. We're, we're, we're getting familiar with that kind of awareness in these first three foundations. In the fourth foundation, it begins to point more to the process of experience, how things happen in our, in our experience. So the hindrances is the first set in the fourth foundation, the first list. And again, we can think of the instructions on the hindrances being, um, you know, when the, when we recognize sense desire arising, we know. So one knows sense desire is present or absent. That's a simple instruction in the fourth foundation. And then it encourages us to begin to get curious about how that has happened. How does that hindrance come to be? How does sense desire arise? And how does it end? So that in the the fourth foundation, we're beginning to get more curious about the causes and conditions around our experience, around the hindrances to start. And, you know, maybe the order is, is useful in the fourth foundation in a way, because You know, when we start our meditation practice, often the hindrances, the sense, desire, ill will, restlessness, sleepiness, and doubt, these are things that come up a lot. They're kind of the obvious things that happen. You know, when you sit down for the very first time, I mean, one of the first things we often notice when we sit down to meditate, the very first time we try to meditate, is just how... um, much our mind wanders off. You know, we, we sit down and we try to stay with something or we are ex- exposed to the um, instruction of be present with what's happening. And what we notice is that the mind goes off a lot. We notice the restlessness of the mind. That's essentially what we're, we're noticing there. We might orient to it as this is a problem or we might Take it as an understanding. Oh, wow, look how restless the mind is. And that's what the, 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 the fourth foundation is encouraging us to do, to get to know these things that are essentially in the way of a mind that settles down. The hindrances themselves are um, kind of five habitual, very habitual functions in our mind, habitual things that we've practiced, that we've been 
conditioned towards unwittingly thinking they're helping us out that tend to keep the mind from actually landing in the present moment. And so the familiarity with them and what makes them happen, what makes them go away, that's a place often where we begin. When we first sit down, this is one of the most obvious things that happens. The mind wanders a lot. And there's a lot of aversion often to what's going on, or I want to be anywhere else but here. All of these are hindrances. And so if we can be curious instead about this is what's happening, instead of feeling like I'm doing something wrong, why can't I just make my mind do what I want it to do? It's actually an insight. It's an understanding that, yeah, our minds are kind of out of our control. It's actually a pointer to the deep teaching on not self that we see this. Minds are out of control. So instead of, instead of rejecting that, you know, or thinking I'm at fault because I can't control my mind and make it stay in the present moment, it's like, wow, this is what minds do. Can I be curious about all of these forces that make the mind do this? That's what the Buddha is encouraging at the beginning of the fourth foundation. And the order here is interesting because that's often something that we're going to see when we first start our practice. We start to see how crazy the mind is and what does kind of take it away. Sleepiness. We, we get, we get so sleepy when we meditate or the mind jumping all over the place or we doubt ourselves. We think, I don't know how to do this or I want to be doing anything with this. You know, this is the perfect time to clean the refrigerator. I think I'll go clean the refrigerator instead of sitting down. You know, just the way our minds work to, avoid something that we don't feel like we do very well, essentially. So that, again, the encouragement is to kind of get curious about these things and to be curious about what happens. And what we start to see is that there's things going on in the mind. We start to see the kind of a thought arises and the mind kind of getting hooked to that idea or that belief. I need to do this right now. This is not the time to be meditating. I need to do this. And then if we actually see that arising, we see that belief arising, we might recognize, yeah, actually, I don't need to clean the refrigerator right now. <laughs> you know, that is something that hasn't been done in the last, you know, five days. It certainly doesn't need to be done in the next 30 minutes. You know, so, so we, we, if we see those things, then it, be, it can begin to expose how driven we are by things that are below the surface, how conditioned we are. And so it starts to help us to understand how our minds do what they do. As we kind of get curious about the, uh, the hindrances, we might start to also recognize as we see the hindrances, you know, seeing, for instance, um, aversion. In the, in, in, you know, that I don't want this. I don't like this. We might also start to see that there's experience in the body that is related to that and that there's unpleasant feeling connected to that. So the, the next, um, set of the aggregates, we might start to, um, kind of go underneath the, kind of the grosser level of, yeah, this is aversion and start to see how the processes of, feeling and perception and body and um, and all of the ideas and beliefs are contributing or, or kind of weaving together. 
And so that that teaching on the aggregates kind of might help us to see or understand the conditioned nature of that of that hindrance. We also might start to see how various sense sense um, bases or senses sense experience contribute. We might notice that a particular uh, desire has come up because we heard something. You know that, that that seemed to be the trigger point, and so the encouragement to notice the sense bases and how the sense plate bases, um, how seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching, and what goes on in the mind interweaves with these the processes that create hindrances and and um, move in the direction of of their letting go as well. So the these first three aspects of the fourth foundation are really an encouragement to look at the conditioned nature of our experience. And in particular with the, the hindrance, um, you know, what is conditioning hindrances? What's conditioning the arising of hindrances? What's conditioning the ending of hindrances? Now, again, this can be done in a, in a kind of a directed way. At times we might pick up a particular teaching like at one point on one retreat, um, the teacher was talking a lot about perception, how perception works. And, um, and, and that kind of got into my system and the, uh, you know, the, the curiosity about perception began to aim the mind to look at that. So there was a kind of a directedness about it, although it wasn't so much me saying, I'm going to look at this. It was more the interest or the intention that arose because of so much conversation about perception. But there are ways that we can direct attention to some of these various areas. And that can be useful. It definitely can be useful. And at times it can be useful to look at things from a particular lens, like just simply looking at things from the from the lens of the presence or absence of greed or, or sense desire. Sense desire is present. Here's what's happening. Sense desire will either be present or absent in any moment of experience. And so that instruction from the, um, the hindrance describing sense desire could be looked at as a framework for attending to whatever's happening. We might notice, okay, sense desire is absent right now. And in the noticing the absence of sense desire, we might notice, but aversion is really here. You know, so we might, we might notice that part. Or we might notice in the absence of sense desire that there's ease, that there's a sense of not needing anything, of contentment. And so the absence of sense desire might begin to show, reveal some other qualities in the mind. And so we can, we can aim kind of towards particular explorations at times. As we do explore the experience from this perspective of curiosity, um, we, uh, may not notice that the 
or we may not be consciously aware of, although we will probably notice at some level, that there are some qualities that are supporting us. The seven factors of awakening. And so this is the next list in the Satipatthana Sutta, the seven factors of awakening supporting us to do our practice. We don't, we, we think about being mindful of something, being mindful of what's happening, being mindful of what we're receiving. But less often are we aware that we are mindful. We think about being curious about exploring a hindrance or something, but less often are we curious or aware of of the curiosity itself. So this is, this is a pointing in the, in this teaching of the seven factors of awakening, including those in the Satipatthana Sutta, that all of those wholesome qualities that are shaped by being mindful. Mindfulness supports investigation, interest, curiosity, which supports energy. Energy to engage with the practice, a momentum of the practice, which supports a joy, which can then lead on to a more tranquil experience and concentration and equanimity. Osuka's in there too, happiness. So tranquility, then happiness, then concentration and equanimity. So the... um, These factors that happen, sometimes we, we kind of recognize these things going on, like, but not so much directly. It's more like we, we're more aimed at, when I paid attention, I felt that way, and I want more of that feeling, so let me pay attention more so I get that feeling back. I get that delight back. I get that happiness back. I get that contentment back. And what the Buddha is encouraging us to notice is, yeah, any any experience that, can arise. And these are beautiful qualities. They're wholesome qualities of mind. And yet we can also get attached to them. We can unwittingly kind of be aiming our practice at getting more of them as opposed to being curious about, well, what's it like to be a human being feeling happiness? What's it like to be a human being experiencing tranquility? So this is an encouragement in this um, in this instruction. We're we're encouraged to notice the presence or absence of the factor of mindfulness is of of the factors of awakening. Is mindfulness present? Is the factor of awakening factor of mindfulness present or absent? Is the awakening factor of interest, investigation, present or absent. Much as we were encouraged in the hindrance to notice, is is sense desire present or absent? Here we're, we're kind of flipping it around. Is mindfulness present or absent? Is, um, is joy present or absent? Is tranquility present or absent? Concentration present or absent? This becomes easier 
as there's more continuity of mindfulness. It, it doesn't have to be like the kind of continuity of mindfulness that is like for days on end. It can simply be mindfulness, continuity of mindfulness, even for a few seconds. The, the stronger our, the momentum of our mindfulness gets, the more we're familiar with what's going on in our, our hearts and minds and bodies then when mindfulness arises in a moment, we might notice what's happening right now, for instance, is, wow, there's, there's, um, there's a, a kind of a not wanting something to happen arising. So we notice the arising of the aversion or the ill will. And with that comes a very strong kind of recognition of like, yep, that's what's happening. There's ill will arising. And with that recognition, there can be the sense or the, the understanding of space that happens. Like, oh yeah, that's what's happening. I don't have to like get all bent out of shape about this. It's just, that's just what's arising right now. And there can be a, not only the space, but within that space, a sense of ease, of even joy. Kind of to my surprise at times I've seen seeing anger and joy at the same time, you know, it's, but, but that's not, not when I'm involved in the anger, but when I'm aware of it. So the, the, as the mindfulness gets stronger and more able to meet, even, even in a few moments, oh, here's anger and wow, here's the mindfulness that's meeting that. And yeah, there's a lot of curiosity about what is this? What is this experience of, of aversion right now? So we might be more, the mindfulness might be more kind of attuned to, initially might be more attuned to the experience of the aversion. And that's where we start in the, you know, in the fourth foundation, encouraged to get to know those experiences. This is what aversion is like. But as our practice deepens, we get interested in not only or maybe even more interested in not just that aversion is arising and what's that aversion about, but what's all of the capacity to hold that aversion about? What's the mindfulness like? What's the interest like? What's the joy like? And that's where we're moving into this kind of um, curiosity about the seven factors of awakening. One simple way into exploring this that's really um, a useful practice. And it's useful wherever we are in our practice. It can, it can point out um, kind of hidden things going on in our minds, um, things that we weren't consciously aware of. And so while we're noticing what's here in the moment, just kind of occasionally checking in. And what's the relationship to what's happening? So we might be noticing an unpleasant physical sensation. And the relationship to that might be aversion. We might not have consciously recognized or become aware of, oh, what's happening is there's aversion. There was a kind of a, a way that we were attending to that unpleasant experience in order to get rid of it, as opposed to just being curious, well, there's an unpleasant sensation, what's happening? 
and you know not seeing that aversion is happening so this kind of curiosity about what's the relationship to what's happening as our as our practice strengthens as our um uh, mindfulness gets stronger we gain more skill at that capacity to be curious and aware of what's happening then the relationship to what's happening, like I described with seeing, oh, there's a version and wow, yeah, there's a version. You know, the relationship to seeing that, the relationship to the experience was kind of curiosity, interest. And so checking the relationship to experience might also show or reveal some of those beautiful qualities that have been being cultivated while exploring being with experience. Oh, so there's interest here. This is what it's like to have interest. This is what it's like to have joy or delight while watching experience. And that, that kind of may, may bring the uh, mind, the mindfulness to the awareness of some of these wholesome qualities, some of these seven factors of awakening. So this simple exploration of what's the relationship to experience can support both the exploration around the hindrances and the exploration around the seven factors of awakening. So there's a lot more to say about this, um, but I think I'll stop my part here and see what are your thoughts about what I've shared, any comments or questions or reflections about this. And you're welcome to um, type into the chat if you prefer to, to not. Uh, speak into the room. You make sure you can unmute yourselves. Yes. That was a lot, I know. That <laughs> was a pretty broad topic, but... Um, yeah, Bruce. Oh, sorry about that. Can you hear me okay? I've got a new cheap microphone. Yep. Um, Andrea, I wanted to send one of the worldly winds your way um, by way of praise and gratitude. Um, your guided meditations are really quite beautiful. Um, the Your tone of voice is very soothing. Your, your pace is wonderful. I never feel rushed when I have a guided meditation with you. And also... Um, I feel like you try and keep it simple and, and not too complicated, which for my pea-sized brain is a, is a really good thing. So um, many thanks for, for that. I'm glad it's supportive. Thank you, Bruce. Okay. I'll follow up with a question. It's sort of a beginner's question, but... Um, I wrestle with when experience comes up with 
oh, can I really have an experience without naming it? You know, like I'll feel like the breeze on my porch. Uh, when I'm sitting on my porch, I'll feel the breeze on my forehead. Then I'll be like, okay, I'm feeling some sensation. But like, I feel like I can't just leave it there. It may not be there unless I name it, you know? And so what I did, I wondered if this was skillful. I sort of went back and forth between like not naming it, letting it arise and seeing what happened and not feeling the need to name it. And I'd try that for like five minutes and then I'd switch to like, okay, let's, I'm feeling my feet on the floor. Okay, I'm feeling my feet on the floor. I'm naming it after it arises. And the question is, is that, was that skillful to go back and forth? So were you able to um, not name it at times? It's, yes. When I, when I tried that, I could do it, but it felt funny. It felt like a newer thing. You know, it felt like, oh gosh, is it really here if it doesn't have a name, you know? So I, I don't know if that's a direction I should head in to try and get better at that without the naming. So if you, so, so there's a, there's a, there's actually several things to point to here. Um, I'll try to do what I can in these next three minutes. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're noticing that there's kind of a conscious naming of experience, you know, and it's habit, right? It's, it's habit. It's, it's not, um, it's not problematic so much, you know, that, that, that we do that, but it, and, and sometimes we can't stop it. You know, you might try to stop it and it, it almost feels like repression. And if it's feeling like repression to stop it, I'm not sure that that's useful, but if it feels like you can let it go and it just feels a little bit like floaty or like, yeah, not sure what's going on. That's okay. Just, just notice. Yeah. Oh, it kind of feels a little strange not to have that extra like grounding with this is what's happening. Like telling yourself it's, it's basically like narrating to yourself what's going on. If you can stop it without a feeling of repression, you can play with that and just notice the relationship to that which is what you said, you know, it feels a little strange. So that too, that's just the next thing. It's like, okay, not doing that. There's a little feeling of strangeness. It feels a little floaty, it feel, whatever, you know, it feels a little bit ungrounded somehow. So, so that's, that's, I would encourage that at times. And then to see what happens with the, you know, what happens with the, the naming or the kind of identification of, of the experience, you know, is there a sense of being able to be more present or more? So kind of look at the conditions, what's going on on both sides of it. We are welcome to play as long as it's not something that's actively harming us or others. You're welcome to play, you know, with, well, what's, what's here, you know, what's going on with that? <laughs> so, so that's one piece. And then another piece is that um, you know, as our mindfulness gets a little bit stronger, um, we will start to recognize that our minds do this process of recognizing. So, you know, we, we don't necessarily see it consciously at first, um, but, you know, the, the experience of noticing 
the sensation of feet on the ground or the hearing a bird, you know, the, the mind will naturally um, recognize that experience. It's, it's part of the process of perception. So, you know, there's a sound that arises and almost immediately our minds identify it as, you know, leaf blower or bird or dog or refrigerator hum or whatever, you know, it, and it may identify it in different ways. It may identify it through the word in our minds, saying the word. It might identify it with sounds. It might identify it through an image, like we hear the refrigerator hum, and we might see an image of a refrigerator in our minds as the way that it's identified. So that's a natural process of recognition that's a supportive process for us to live as human beings. And we're not going to be able to stop that. You know, that's that's just something that will happen. Um, it doesn't usually come with the whole sentence. You know, it's not usually, oh, I'm hearing a refrigerator hum. That's That's a little bit more. That's more of a thought that kind of has followed on from the recognition of the refrigerator hum. Sometimes, though, it is simple, the words like hum or bird, or that may be how it's recognized, or the image may be how it's recognized. And so just to, 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 to be aware that that's also something that, that happens um, in our, in our experience. And so, you know, sometimes people get, get confused, think, you know, thinking, you know, why can't I stop that? My mind is labeling everything. And we're not going to be able to stop that process of perception. So a useful exploration when something like this happens, when it feels like I'm naming everything, is to see, can you stop it? Not through repression, but can you stop engaging with that process? As I asked you, can you stop doing that? You could to some extent, and then you had that kind of weird floaty feeling. And so that tells me that that was more at the level of a conscious kind of engagement, a conscious kind of thinking or doing that is possible to let go of. And so that, that's, that's a useful thing to check with, um, with this kind of experience. Can I stop doing this? And sometimes, sometimes the answer is no. You know, I don't seem to be able to stop doing this. It's just happening. And when that is the case, then we just get to watch it. That's what's going on in the mind. The mind is recognizing experience. Perception at work is actually what the mind is interested in knowing right now. So those are, those are just a few, a few thoughts about that.